Hello everyone and welcome to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. We are joined today by Rabbi Gedalia Zlatowicz, President of Art Scroll Masora Publications, and Rabbi Yisrael Besser, best-selling author, mishpacha editor, and the author of the book we'll be discussing today, Just Love Them, the biography of Rabbi David Trink. I'd like to start with Rabbi Zlatowicz. What was the impetus to publish this book? I spent many summers with Rabbi Trank, about 40 summers we spent together. And as I wrote in my introduction, most people in the summer, unfortunately, it's a time that, you know, they don't stay where they were throughout the year. It's a time sometimes people go down in their ruchnias. And being around Rabbi Trank just lifted me up, my wife, my family, Anyone who spent the summer with him was just... And that's at Camp Monk we're talking that about. That was in Camp Monk. Now, what was Rabbi Trank's position in Camp Monk? Rabbi Trank actually started as a boy in Camp Monk. He was a camper, and he stayed on after he got married. He was a learning Rebbe. He was the spirit of Camp Monk. You hung around him. You just wanted to be a better person. His obviously Yisrael just rubbed off on you. And I figured... A book like this, the story of Rabbi Trank's life, how he loved everyone, and how he lifted everyone up through that love, just had to be told. Now, Rabbi Yisrael, when you got the phone call, there's a Trank book to be written. What was your reaction? So it's interesting. Rabbi is not giving himself enough credit. I had just, I wasn't even finished yet. I was in the middle of a book, the Tasha Rabbi. I had another couple of weeks left, and Rabbi said, we have to meet. And I had just come into Mansi for the summer. I was you know, just in the middle of unpacking my car, basically. He's like, tonight. So we met at midpoint between Brooklyn and Mansi, And he said, I, I think you should write this book. And I said, really? Rabbi Trank's a book? Are you, are you certain? He's like, it's not only a book, it's the book. And I said, I, I hear, I trust him implicitly. So we made up to meet Mrs. Trank. So the next day I drove to Lakewood. Sat there for about two hours, and I called him up. I'm like, well, thank you. Now, had you known Rabbi Trank before? I, I knew him. You knew him. And, uh, yeah. You, you went to Camp Monk yourself? Oh, you're a Camp Monk camper. Him. I was his waiter. I was okay. in awe of him. I, over the years, after I'd started to write, he was very, very warm to me and always very encouraging. I just didn't see it as a book. Right. Now, in, the bo- in, in your book, you describe your first, one of your first sentences, the, the night that changed my life. W- what changed your life? There's others in my family who are better equipped to answer the question than me. I would like to think I became a better husband and father, not just a better husband and father, much more in touch with the role and the responsibility, uh, how to react, how to view the people around you, and how to use your words in a way that lets everybody shine. Baruch Hashem, I think I was okay before that also, but there's just a certain, a certain level of, of calm and happiness that, that defines almost every interaction since I, I started to buy into the, the Trank Doctrine, as, as I think of it. Now... You started writing it. You were doing interviews. Walk me through the process of putting together such a book. Do you do all the interviews and then start writing? Or do you do a few interviews, start writing, and then continue? And do you do it in chronological order? What is the process of putting together such a book? So it's interesting. You know, I live in Montreal. The face-to-face interviews we're doing as as I was able to get to them. I was in Muncie for the summer, so that I started out with that. You know, the... You, you sit with Talmidim, you sit with family members, and you hear these are the names that you must speak to face-to-face. So obviously the siblings of David Konchlita and his wife, and of Zavi Trank, or Balya Brudny, who was not only a close friend of Rabbi Trank, Rabbi Trank's Rebbe was Rabbi Shmuel Brudny, so that was very important to me to meet in person. Rabbi Gedalia was very much a part of that process as well. It wasn't a, we would talk over every name, 
both from Ketmonk, from the Adelphi Yeshiva, later from Rashi's Yeshua, and you do this for long enough, you start to understand certain types of people who are more likely. It's, it's very counterintuitive. You, it's not what you would think. A lot of times the closest people are not the best interviews. Sometimes it's Dafka, somebody who's a little further, but they had their one or two amazing stories that, that they're going to deliver something for you. But it takes a lot of time to interview people face-to-face. People don't just start spitting out stories because you press a button. Right. It takes a lot of time. They have to be comfortable with you. You have to be comfortable with them. You have to establish the background. And from there, you hope you're going to get the stories you want. But if you're attuned to it and you're listening and you hear a name that they drop and that's something that you want to follow up more, you make a note. So over the summer, I just was piling. I wasn't writing at all. I was just piling in as many interviews as possible. And I had something unique in this book, which I didn't have in all my books, which is I would find myself coming out of an interview and just sitting in the car for, for 15, 20 minutes, wowed, awed. Digesting it. Digesting it. I would go home and tell my wife, you have to hear what somebody said today. And myself, they, they weren't chadushim. Uh, there were obvious things, but I had just never thought about them before. Right. And, and through the world of Robert Trank and the effects of his success, you'd sit with Talmidim, who look like regular people like anybody else, and you'd see them start talking about their Rebbe 10, 15, 20 years later, selling the tears in their eyes and the light in their face. It's the passion and intensity, the way they talk now about davening, learning, raising their families, Yiddishkeit, and you say, wow, this man created something incredible. He put batteries into people that never die. Now, one of his Talmidim, I was heard quoted, he said something to the effect that when Rabbi Trank was alive, people were embarrassed to say they were his Talmud. Now, everyone, everyone wants to say that he was a Talmud. What do you think he meant by that? I think that Rabbi Trank was an original person. He, he wasn't the buttoned-up, predictable uh, Torah figure that we're used to. And of course, Monsieur Satira is given a certain way, and there's a tzura of a Talmud Chacham, and there's halachas of how Talmud Chacham conducts himself. And I understand that not mo- mo- many Rosh Hashivas cannot and should not uh, sit in pizza shop and start kumzitzes with the waiters. It's not for everybody. But, you know, Rebali Yabuni told me after the book came out, he says, uh, there are going to be many Rebbeim and Moros who are tempted to emulate the things they see in this book. For a lot of them, it might work. For a lot more of them, it probably won't work. You're not Rabbi Trank. Not everybody is meant to be Rabbi Trank. Not everybody has that neshama. And not everybody has that inhibition that the, the, uh, people are inhibited, I'm saying. And, and they're not able to do that. If it's not real, then the, then the Talmudim see that, right? Rabbi Trank was different. I, I've seen him at conventions. And I'm sure that I wasn't the only one who maybe even thought, what's wrong? People probably rolled their eyes from his techniques from his raw pain at, 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 at the way he felt neshamas were being dismissed in some of the conversations. If he heard at a, at a convention or at a session people discussing neshamas like a production facility that uh, what should we do with our seconds or with the, the pants that didn't work out, he would go crazy. He would erupt. And of course it's natural for people in the business to sometimes not everybody is always on. And if he caught that, he jumped up like a tiger to do battle for those Talmudim. So it's not the, it doesn't mainstream you to be that guy, right? Yeah. But you look at somebody who's doing it for 40 years, day in, day out, and you see the effect, and you start saying, wow, he knew something we didn't. So I think the answer is that even if not every mechanach could take his template and replicate it, but every single person, mechanach or not, could take some component of what he did and apply it, whether in parenting or in the classroom. And you're right, not everyone's going to jump up by a convention and do this impromptu act that he did. And not everyone's going to, you know, start a kumzitz in a pizza store. But every person could take that love and that acceptance and that understanding. You're not going to have to take it. You know what? I don't, I don't believe that this book is, you know, uh, some of the advertising copy calls it a guidebook or a handbook or a manual. It's not. It's going to happen to you. It's like when you hear music that makes you want to dance or makes you want to cry. 
This book is going to do it. You're not going to have to take anything. You're not going to have to make notes and say, okay, that's point A, point B. Right. I'm telling you that anybody who reads this is going to read it and something's going to happen from them. You know why? Because they know it's true. It's already inside of them. I think I agree with what Surly is saying. By Rabbi Trank, it wasn't an act. He right. didn't read a manual and say, right. now it's time to jump up. Now it's time to start screaming. His natural love for every Yid told him, in this situation, this is what you're naturally going to do. If I would start jumping up on a chair in the middle of a convention, they would lock me away. But Rabbi Trink, they knew, was so genuine, and that's how he expressed himself. So if someone's going to read this book and start doing that, I, I don't recommend they do that. But what you take out of the book is the concern. So you'll show it in your way. You have a personality. You're going to show that concern, express that concern, show the love in the way you'll do it. I'll do it a different way. He jumped up on chairs. He, that's the way he naturally reacted. We're going to take the love lesson of how to build people up, and we're going to deal with it the way we deal with people. You know, when the book came out, I thought back a year. I work as an editor for the Yathed. And the paper was coming out that week. And I remember Rabbi Lipschitz at the time was in Eretz Yisrael, I believe, with Rabbi Gedalia around the same time, his father's yard site. And the decision was made, we're putting Rabbi David Trank on the front cover. And uh, we were coming up with a name. We, we wrote Just Love Them. So we were Mechaven. But I remember at the time, a couple of people commented, wow, Rabbi David Trank on the front, full cover, full tribute to him. And he deserved it. But the fact that there was a comment made reminded me that, you know what, we didn't appreciate him when we had him. And one of the lessons I think the book will teach all of us, whether we read it or not, is to start appreciating these people when we have them. And I'm sure many of the people you met are it's lamenting that, that we... say that. Somebody called me up, a friend of mine. He read the book, the Nerva Trank, read the book. He told me his son has to make a big decision. And his son is a Talmud of a very stiff elephant in Eretz Yisrael. And he said, normally, I would say... He's, his son's in America, Osman. He hasn't really been in touch with his Rebbe day to day. But now I realize what a Rebbe means. Now I realize to appreciate these people like you say, there's plenty of great people. There's plenty of great Rebbe in Mekal Yisrael. He says, well, I'm going to seize the moment. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to, we're going to get them and we're going to do whatever he says because he read this book. And he sees how, how lucky is somebody who has a Rebbe he can listen to and trust. A hundred percent. I live a mile away from where Rabbi and Rebbe Trank live. I drive past his house almost every day. I feel a void in my heart. I'm lamenting. Why didn't I pull into that circular driveway and just knock on the door? He wouldn't have to know who I am. And he would have brought me in. I, I, I just, I read the book and I'm like, I, what, what did I miss out on? And I think that it's a good feeling for us to have. You don't have to lament the Rebbitson. I should visit the Rebbitson. You visit her. She's amazing. I'll tell right. you, I have the same feeling. My wife's the camp mother and camp monk, so we're still there. This past Matzah Shabbos, we were sitting in the family dining room. It was late Matzah Shabbos. We're eating Malava Malka with another family. And Rabbi Trink religiously would eat Malava Malka in that dining room for the 50 years that he was in camp, 60 years. Sometimes we joined him, sometimes we didn't. And I was thinking exactly what you're saying. I wish he was here. If I could, what would I give for another Malava Malka with him? Sure. And how many times was I too busy or I was too tired and I didn't go and enjoy it? And it's really, that's a lesson for us. We have so many people in our lives that we could spend more time with, that we could learn from. Don't wait. Chap arang. Grab the opportunities to sit with these giants. Absolutely. 
one of the things that were blatant to me in the book as well, and when I heard the Hespedim, people talking about Rabbi Trank, is that he was able to understand and sympathize and associate with every type of person, young, old, in between, teens, and, teens at risk, teens in pain, but at the same time, he never, ever compromised on his principles. Never. Not an alocha, not an ashkafa. Talk about that for a moment. When you started putting together his biography and you realized that he was such a derhoibin, a person, and you don't always find that. It's a, it's a dichotomy to be able to associate with everyone and also maintain your avodah Hashem on the absolutely highest levels is remarkable. I can tell you a story that appears in the book, which I thought is the, is the legacy of Rabbi Trank in a nutshell. Everything you just said, I don't know much about being a, a very sophisticated Eved Hashem. I also don't know very much about reaching out to the people he did. So I can't tell you how he did it. But if somebody's perfectly real and authentic and sees Neshamas, then it's all part of one Avaida. There's a, an incredible Rabbi in, in, in his yeshiva, Rabbi Septimus, told this over to me, that he, uh, he was waiting online to talk to Matas one day. And uh, he waited, and he came to, to the mashkiach. He should be gazot to matisio, and he said, "I wanted to ask you a question." He says, "I'm a rebbe in the yeshiva of Reb David Trank. And before he finished the question, Reb Matisio said, "Allah medvavnik, Allah medvav tzadik, tzadik." He says later, on his way back to yeshiva, his family dropped off, and Reb Trank was coming out. And his little son said, "Oh, Tati, there's the funny man. There's that funny man." He says, and he taught himself in half an hour. I just went the full spectrum of Reb Trank. Reb Matisio saying he's Allah medvavnik a mashkiach and the biggest yeshiva in the world, who's saying on him he's Lamed Vavnik, and my little son saying, oh, there's the funny man, as if he's some kind of Zisa clown that, you know, from an Uncle Maishi concert. He said, that's Rabbi Trank's legacy. He was, the tzaddikim knew him as a tzaddik. The, the kids who need a smile knew him as that. He packed it all in. Amazing. Now, the, the book, which is impeccably written, it's a beautiful read. We've heard from people who did not want to put, put the book down. The pages just turn almost by themselves. I noticed that besides for the stories, which are phenomenal, there are small anecdotes about his hanhagas that are eye-opening. One of them that jumped out at me is that Rabbi Trank loved hearing that, I believe it was the Belzer Rebbe, never called an irreligious Jew who didn't keep Shabbos a Mechal Shabbos. He called them Sheikhechei Iker Shabbos. They, they forgot the essence of Shabbos. That, that so describes the way he saw people, and people who maybe weren't where they should be on a religious level. It just was so eye-opening to me. We, you read the book, you view the world through Rabbi Trang glasses. It's a different world. You see the person, we know he's Michal Shabbos, so we, many of us, will look at the person, he's Michal Shabbos. Rabbi Trang didn't see that. He saw that Pintal Yid, which was there because everyone has it. And that's what he focused on. It happens to me right now the person is not keeping Shabbos for whatever reason. But he's a Yid. He has a holy spark in him. That is what Rabbi Trank saw. And by seeing that, that spark ended up raging into a roaring fire. We've spoken about this. Did Rabbi Trank see it and overcome it? Did he not see the negative? What was it? Did he have to train himself? Was he born that way? I mean, you, you spoke to everyone who knew him. What, what would you say? I would say like this. I, I had an opportunity last week to speak in Camp Monk, which was Rabbi Trank's, the, the breeding ground that created Rabbi Trank. So I, I could only tell you what I think. I, I was saying how there was somebody, I live in Montreal, right? I wasn't a big fan of the couple who I didn't, I didn't love them. I, you know, I, it was before I read Just Love Them, and I used to be more judgmental. 
I just wasn't big fans. We had, we had rubbed each other the wrong way. They probably didn't like me very much either. And, uh, you know, just not, not a big deal. It wasn't a fight. And one day, uh, somebody was watching my kids, and the, 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 you know, the person looked away for a minute, one of my kids ran into the street, and, and cars were coming. And this woman, whose hu- husband I didn't particularly love, ran into the street, and she picked up my kid, and she brought it to the other side of the sidewalk. And from then on, whenever I see her or her husband, I feel such an overwhelming sense of and to them, such gratitude, love, you saved my child's life. There's nothing else that I see now. Whatever little things I had in my heart about them, are not only irrelevant, they're completely negated by the overpowering sense of, I can't tell you, I feel, how could you thank somebody who saves your child? I think that Rebbe Trank saw Neshama. He saw Neshama as he saw it's such a blinding light. I think that he didn't see anything else. He didn't focus on anything else. It's not important. You're in Neshama. You could learn a black tomorrow. You could put on tefillin. You could smile. You could do a mitzvah. Whatever. You're so big. You're so much bigger than whatever small things the rest of us who aren't trained in looking at people this way see. And you know what? It wasn't only for people who are Mechal Shabbos or Sheikh Iker Shabbos. It's for, you, for the people in your own life as well. There's something so much bigger going on than you're saying, don't be small. And the truth is, I think that that's how it has to work. It really has to come from us internally, not where, like you said, oh, we're following a manual, number one, number two, number three. It really has to come from a very real place. He had a way to focus on the good parts of the person he looked at. What we speak about potential, that's always the word we use about a kid who's struggling, uh, an adult who's struggling, he has potential. Potential means down the road there could be something good about them. Right now, he looked, everyone has something good about them. He focused on the good point and that's what he, fo- that's what he saw because he trained himself, there's good here. Focus on the good, bring out the good, tell the person how good they are, but it has to be real. He didn't make up things, it was real. He found what was good and he kept on driving it home. We would, walk me, out the, yeah. we would walk into the dining room and he would tell my wife, Mrs. Lotowitz, the way you served those, the, 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 the campers, that, but they needed the special food today because they have allergies. You did it with such love. You took such good care of them. It built her up. It was true. She did do that. But how many people would make a big deal about something like that? It's your job. Of course you should be doing it. He knew how to build up a person with whatever was true and good about that person. Absolutely, and had an amazing way, you read story after story of having the right response in an impossible situation. There's a story about this child who was Mechal Shabbos, and he was inconsolable, his parents couldn't console him, he felt so bad, they brought him to Rabbi Trank, and Rabbi Trank said, thank the Rabbi Yishalelam, I'm paraphrasing, that you're a human being, and human beings make mistakes. Thank Hashem, you're not a holubcha, and you're not a frog. I loved it. One of my favorite stories in the book, also about the genius of coming up with the right thing to say. There was a young man, a Mareshes Yoshua, who was struggling. He would come to yeshiva, but he would leave early. Every day he would leave early, and he would go home. And Rabbi Trink would go over and either play ball with him, or try to encourage him to come back, but to check up on how he's doing. And one day, the mother of this child says to Rabbi Trank, I don't understand my child. It's not, you know, he's a Mareshis Yeshua. He can't spend a whole day in yeshiva. He has to leave at 2 o'clock every day. And he looks at her and says, you must be the greatest mother in the world. Your child wants to spend time in your home. Most childs will be running around the mall or somewhere else. He wants to be with you. You must be the greatest mother. Unbelievable. How we spun it he around. He built up yeah. this woman and made it from... The woman who told so me the story was saying it over, and she had a tremor in her voice when she was telling it to me. 
She's like choking back her cries. Phenomenal. It's a genius. Yeah, it's genius. The story about when the kid, the kid was expelled, he drives him home. He, he said, okay, you know, you have to be out of yeshiva, and he drove him right back to yeshiva. He accomplished... That story is, is educational genius. Yeah, that's educational he, genius. He, they had a real respect for rules. Right. It's never uh, the words just love that might make you think anything goes. Right. It wasn't yeah. anything goes. They were disciplined people, and they, there was a tremendous respect for rules. Uh, but at the same time, the Midas Arachimim, like the Rebbe made the world with Midas Adin, and then said, no, no, I need to do this Midas Arachimim. Right. The Midas Arachimim was overpowering all the time. There's another story that I, that I noted in the book where he was teaching a Gemara in Kedushin about being kind of about being acquiring an animal, and he said, lift, he told his Talmidim, lift it up and he's yours. He was telling them a lesson in relating to people, relating to youngsters. I was thinking, you could have called the book, lift them up, and then they're yours. It's really... Yeah, uh, how many titles did we go How many through? titles do you go through? <laughs> Once a week. <laughs> Once a week. <laughs> this is our title. Yeah. 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 Well, tell them how we got to this title. It's really defines... I had a working title. Retrank's favorite song, I wrote this in the book, was A.B. Rothenberg's The Ninth, Ninth Man. Man right. The reason he played every single morning when he picked up all the boys, he did his rounds through Lakewood, right. morning carpool. I don't know that there's another yeshiva in earth, now or ever, with which yeshiva does morning carpool, not buses, not subsidized, not jersey, not nothing. The yeshiva driving his van, picking up the kids one by one, waking them up, often letting himself into the house. He knew all the combinations, right. except in one case where the mother didn't like him to come, so he kept a, a baseball bat in his trunk, and he would tap on the window till the kid came out. Anyhow, so Retrank's driving, and he's, every morning they're playing the song. The reason he loved it, and A.B. told me, the first time he met Retrank, no, not the first time, after he made up the song, he hugged him for such a long time oh. and told him, because I, since I am their Rebbe, the Rebbe says, I got to take a turn at bat in the, in the song, right. because I'm, since I am their Rebbe, so Retrank felt that the imic of Chinuch is expressed in since I am their Rebbe, meaning Rebbe's got to do whatever it takes. It does pass, it doesn't pass, it looks good, it doesn't look good. If my Talmud didn't need something, that's where I am, since I am the, the Rebbe. So that was my working title. For about three months, that was, since I am the Rebbe, was the title of the book. Which is a great title, and that really personifies, if, you, if we would be able to ask Rabbi Trang, what was your greatest role? He would say, I was the Rebbe. The Rebbe. No it's question. interesting, I, I noticed something interesting. He would sign his text messages to Talmud, and many of them forwarded me texts, they saved them, and after he passed away, they sent them to me, Rebbe. Most of them don't, sign, don't call themselves Rebbe. Right. It, it's almost, and another Rebbe would be considered a guy, but they signed their name. Rebbe. You have a Rebbe and I'm your Rebbe. Maybe. That means, that, that also was his sacrifice. I'm going to sign off Rebbe, not David Trank. Absolutely. Even though he called himself all the time, Trank, David Trank, whatever it took, Rebbe. Since I am the Rebbe. The, the, um, this story came from, uh, came from somebody who went to him in his last months already. And he... And he, he wasn't well, but this person was taking a new chinuch position in a new school, not a conventional yeshiva. Someone said, Rabbi Trank is the authority, you have to speak to him. Rabbi Trank really wasn't capable, he was so sick already, that he wasn't really capable of hearing the, the back and the forth and what the challenge of the job. He wasn't, he was, it looked like he was dozing off. And, and this would be this, this future manal or Rebbe, he's telling Rabbi Trank there's this whole story, and he's like, you know, what's the solution? What should be the approach? How do I do this? And Rabbi Trank looked up and he just said, those words. He got up and he lifted his head. It looked like he was dozing. He said, just love them. Just love them. That means he encompassed 40 years of his experiences in those three words. And I, I keep telling people, it's not just love them. It's just love them. Right. It's a different side. Right. <laughs> the emphasis is on something else Make entirely. sure that whatever you're doing, it doesn't mean just love them. It means just, whatever decision you're making, it better be coming from a place of love. Not from your covenant. 
not from your ego, and certainly not from anger. I just want to say the reason why we ended up shifting away from a title that had the word Rebbe in it, because it's true, the essence of Rebbe Trank was a Rebbe for so many years. And that's how we view Rebbe-Talmud relationship, but he was so much more than that. To his family, the way he treated his wife, the way he treated his children, the way he treated his friends, Rabbonim and Lakewood, it was the same, just love them. That's why I personally felt we should not limit the title to the word Rebbe. Because then people think, if I'm not a Rebbe, it's not for me. No, this book is for anyone who interacts with another person, which we all do. Whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, doesn't make a difference. I just watched a video. Someone had sent out a clip of Rabbi Trank speaking, and he was recounting when he was first being accepted into Masifti. You could tell that story about his interview. To me, it was so eye-opening. You talk a, lot, talk a lot about being accepted to RJJ for two reasons. The Manal said to him, he said he, could, he didn't know the Gemara. His father had to answer for him. Right. father was a big time Chacham. His father never really went to Yeshiva, only for two years. Right. Did the same Yeshiva, RJJ, and then he had to go to work. He had come over as an orphan from Europe, but his father never stopped learning. It was, he eventually finished Shas. He knew Mazach. That's a darn very well. Part of the and a big part of the book is just the, the, the richness of the history of, and I, I got this feedback from people, Barber Park, 50s and the 60s and that community, we don't talk enough about that. There's a lot about the generation before that, but this is the first generation of survivors and the ones who came over. And his father had to answer for him at the Bechina, so the, the Manal asked him, do you play ball? Are you a basketball player? So he says, yeah, he likes to play basketball. He said, great, then you're in Yeshiva. Welcome. Welcome to RJJ. He always saw that as the model of a successful Bechina. And I think both parts. I think he liked that they asked him learning because that's what we're about. But at the same time, of course you're welcome. Tire is yours. You know it, you don't know it, you will know it. Now, Gedalia, this book, the sales have been unprecedented, I would say, or at least on par with some really historic books. What, 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 what has been the feedback that you've heard from people, real life stories where people are taking this book and saying, you know, it's really changed me, it's changed my outlook? I think the, we're getting, I mean, it's, I don't think we could even count anymore the amount of text messages, emails, phone calls. I was in L.A. last week for a wedding. So I walk into the wedding, and many people came over to me and told me about the book, wherever you go. And what's amazing is all backgrounds. It could be teenagers, adults, chassidish, litvish. It doesn't make a difference where you're from, what type of person you are. The message of the book is talking to them. One of the most, like a Rebbe wrote us, and he said, I wish the school year would be starting already. I'm itching to apply these lessons to my Talmidim. But we're getting so... People said, we got a call this night, both the Srili and I, from a principal of a top, top Yaakov in the United States, who says, I, I was, I'm so emotional reading the book. Like, I'm thinking now in all different situations, what would Rabbi Trank do? That's how people are thinking now. What would Rabbi Trank do in this situation? How would he react? And I think that's going to have a major positive impact on people. Phenomenal. Any, par- any closing thoughts, Rabbi Yisrael? Love you, kids. Be nice to them. Have patience. Love them. That, that, that was his credo. I, wa- I want to just say that, you know, you can't be a Rabbi Trank without a Mrs. Trank. This one of my favorite parts of, of really coming up with the idea and speaking writing. about writing the book. Writing. Writing is, you know, I told Srulli after we met, 
it's a great idea and we have to get this book done, but generally what happens is when you write about someone, you need permission from the family. Sure. That's the standard. You don't just write about a person. You go it's, over not, to the family it's not always such a simple process. And it's not always simple. And they want to be involved in every last word. And how do you portray him? I went to Mrs. Trank right after Shiva. During Shiva, I said, I want to speak about something. After Shiva, I went to see her. And I said, I'd like permission to write a book about your husband. And she looked at me and says, permission? My husband didn't belong to me. He belonged to Klal Yisrael. So when you have that attitude, you could have a Rebbevich together with his Rebbetzin to change the lives of so many thousands and thousands of people that they came in contact with throughout their life. And Mrs. Trank really is doing the same thing right now. She meets with people. She helps them out in their own family situation. She just told Srili an f- amazing story. Srili went to see her last week with his wife. And Mrs. Trank said, you know, she helps people, as I said, with their children. And um, a mother came in and said, my child is a monster. He's a monster. I can't control him. He makes the other siblings in the house crazy. He's always fighting. He's a monster. I don't know what to do with him. Going on and on. And Mrs. Trank says, can you please walk out of the room for five minutes and come back? And the mother walks back into the room. And Mrs. Trank says, let me paint the following scenario for you. There's a camp opening in Lakewood. And after COVID, and everyone wants their children to get into camp. And there's one spot left for one child. And the administrator of the camp calls you up and says, I have a long waiting list. Why should I take your child? What would you tell me? And the mother says, my child, he's the most responsible child I know. He's such a responsible person. You give him something to do, you can count on him, he's going to do it. So she looks at the mother and says, did you ever tell your child that? And that defines the Trank Doctrine. Focus on the good, and you will build up your child, your spouse, your friends, and all the people around you. Klal Yisrael owes both of you a debt of gratitude to Rabbi Besser, for putting pen to paper and putting the life and legacy of Rabbi Trank in a language that we understand, in a language that resonates with all ages. And a thank you to Rabbi Zlatowicz for bringing this book to the masses. It's a classic, it's enduring, and I'm sure that people who read it for years to come will continue to glean tremendous lessons from this classic book. Thank you again to both thank of you, you for joining thank us. Thank you, Rabbi Yisrael.